Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. Alrighty, we're in draft week, baby. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of nervous, man. This is exciting. This is fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've made a lot of like statements and predictions over the last two, three months. Uh, so it'll be interesting yeah. to see if any of those uh, come true or are even are anywhere close, right? I'm uh, a GM, probably trying to blow people off the scent a little bit, but said, you know. Uh, you know, we're wronger than we've ever been. Uh, so I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Yeah. Does that mean they're, they like are actually writer than they've ever been? I, I was trying to think about what I expect. Like, do I expect more Cleveland Farrells in this draft? Do I expect, right. which I, I mean, look, they showed us in that one. Right. Um, <laughs> anyways, we're, we're going to talk to uh, Peter King, who is probably the best person to ask about this stuff. He wrote a fantastic uh, article as usual yesterday. His mock draft is in there. He's got Tua going to the Patriots. We're going to talk about that. Um, he's got a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, a- as of right now, you're like, I'm, I'm reading through all the different things that are coming out from each team. Which one do you think is like the biggest pile of baloney at this point? Uh, well, this isn't a team specific one, but I'm still firmly in the camp that Tua will be taken high. Yeah. Um, and I think that there, I could be wrong. We were wrong about the Giants two years ago, but I, I think that the, the probability that the Washington Redskins take Chase Young with the second pick is lower than people think. You think so? Mm-hmm. And I, the betting markets somewhat support that. I mean, Young to Washington specifically is minus 800. Whereas young, like, you know, under two and a half and all that kind of stuff is like in the minus 2000 sort of range. So I do think that there, there, there is some like support for the idea that Washington is not a complete lock to, to stay at two and take uh, chase young, uh, you know, so that, you know, and, and this could be just wishful thinking because we all want Tua to go second because that I think would make the most sense to us. But I think, it, I think the probability is higher uh, that people are are handicapping it at now. So one of the ones that I think is really interesting is the Giants saying that they've been doing all this like Justin Herbert scouting because it's such a clear like please trade up with us you know sort of situation. But that kind of makes me think okay maybe they're not they're not super sold on anyone at four and four could be again as it was last year a totally random you know guy you know could it be someone that we're just not expecting. Um, if Detroit takes a CUDA, could it be, you know, is, is Derek Brown going at four? Um, and I, I was thinking through the top 10 and I was like, I wonder if there's one guy that slips 
that maybe we haven't talked about yet because we're all talking about Tua slipping. And one that came to mind was Isaiah Simmons. And I actually got a lot of flack for this, but I could see a la Derwin James, interestingly, him like really starting to slide, which would make no sense. I would take him high, but something like that's going to happen. You just know it's going to. I mean, Simmons under six and a half prop was like minus 200 just a couple weeks ago when I wrote about it. And I think now he's probably more of a favorite to go at over six and a half than anything. Um, And I think it's because the Giants were very much the team on Simmons early. It made a lot of sense. Their defense struggled, you know, uh, covering over the middle of the field. But teams now really like certainty, right? And when a player is of the Derwin James ilk or of the Isaiah Simmons ilk, like there is less certainty. And when a player is like Derek Brown, you know, the the teams gravitate towards that player or, uh, you know, Jedrick Wills, who I think is probably the favorite to go to the Giants at four. Mm-hmm. When when you sort of know exactly what a player is and isn't, like the teams place a premium on that, uh, which which is interesting. What, what's interesting about Wills is he, we talked to Mike a little bit about this. He like, he, he looks the part, but for some reason the grade doesn't match. And I'm always concerned about the guys who it looks good, but the result, like if you look good doing something and you've got all the tools and you're playing in Alabama, why aren't you dominating? You know, that, that's, that's kind of my question with him. And that's why our projections are so much lower on him. Cause he, you know, his, pass blocking grade just wasn't was not nearly as solid as some of the other guys in the class yeah and that's but that was the same thing with Saquon Barkley at least Saquon Barkley was good at doing what he looked good doing but it it didn't add a lot of value uh and and the Giants gravitated that way Daniel Jones is the same right Daniel Jones looked the part 100 percent he's big strong uh you know he's got the quarterback appearance oh yeah but, but he's not like actually you know proficient at it so We've got, uh, looks like, like Peter is entering the chat. There he is. is. Hello. Peter King, what's going on, man? Can you hear me? Uh Uh-oh. This So this is the trial that the NFL uh, draft is going to go through, right? We're trying to figure out. Taking a bullet for the NFL here. How Zoom is going to work out. Can you hear us yet? I can hear you. Okay. Good. Awesome. We can hear How you. Are you guys. We're doing well. Doing no well technical to- difficulties on our Zoom call. So, like, the NFL clearly should come take a page out of our book so that they can get <laughs> it right. Oh, man. Um, it's a, it, by the way, it's a total absolute pile of crap, and I can't wait to talk about that. Let, let's jump into it right now. Uh, yeah. Because I had a feeling that was the case. Um, you knew people were going to throw out that there were technical difficulties. Um, so tell us more. Uh, there are multiple um, redundancies, as they are called, for the NFL's draft this weekend. And the thing that really bothers me about this impression that Armageddon is going to happen and Dave Gettleman is going to go into a fetal position in the corner and when the fourth pick, they're not going to be able to find them. And I mean, you know, let's, let's just, let me explain to you how NFL teams will be able to draft. Okay. Number one, uh, there's this uh, channel on Microsoft teams, which is probably a better encrypted zoom. Okay. 
Uh-huh. And there's this channel on there that's going to be open only to NFL people with the right codes. And basically, in encryption, Dave Gettleman will be able to type in Tristan Wirfs, tackle Iowa, <laughs> send it to Draft Central, and there, there it is. That's their pick. Okay? Let's say he doesn't want to do that. There's going to be a live, open conference call that will be muted for every team in the league. But three dedicated people per team, three, are going to have access to that conference call line. And if for some reason they either don't want to use Microsoft Teams or or something happens, they can pick up that phone line, unmute the line, and say, uh, hey, New York, uh, this is Dave Gettleman with the Giants. We're taking Tristan Wirfs, tackle Iowa. And now let's say, uh, you know, let's say that that there's something happens there. Dave Gettleman has a phone number of a guy named Ken Fiore, who every year runs the NFL draft in the NFL office. And he has a number for Ken Fiore. He can pick up the phone and call Ken Fiore and say, hey, Ken, we're drafting Tristan Wirfs, tackle Iowa. Okay, Dave, thanks a lot. Good luck. So if you were in kindergarten, maybe you'd screw this up. But I don't even think if you're in kindergarten, you could screw this up. Well, we talked, we talked about this earlier, you know, in the whole process. And I think you wrote about this really well in your piece. And I, I think Scott Pioli did for CBS as well. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of it is just trying to use this as an excuse to be more, to, you know, put it out a month and be more prepared. Right. I mean, that's kind of, you know, one of the, and it really is sort of like a, a little bit tone deaf on their part, given, you know, sort of all the difficulties that people are dealing with right now in our country that they, you know, can't seemingly do what a lot of people have been doing in a pinch for the last two months. Yeah, look, um, and and I, honestly, over the weekend, you know, I talked to a total of 13 team people, okay, uh, because I was mostly doing my mock draft, okay? And I asked everyone about this thing, and a few of them said, well, you know what, it is something like, well, undrafted free agency might be a little bit different. It might be tough. Um, and I wrote 500 words in my column that basically explained how one team, the Los, the Los Angeles Rams, are going to be doing undrafted free agency. It's totally fascinating. They, usually, you know, with the Rams, guys would be in the same room and it would be almost like a Wall Street boiler room where people would be saying, yeah, I got this, I got that, I just made this sale, I did this. And usually teams are in one facility, and maybe they'll be in an office down the hall or whatever, but they can basically say, hey, we just got John Doe of San Jose State, or we just got this guy. But in this particular case, what is so interesting about this year is that, let's say the Rams. The way the Rams do this is they do one of their regional scouts and one assistant coach will basically have one position group. So in other words, what you're going to have with the Rams, and this is the guy I wrote about, they have a Southeastern scout in Daphne, Alabama, who will be you know, on a video conference with the running backs coach, Thomas Brown of the Rams. So Michael Pierce is the name of the scout, Thomas Brown, is the name of the running backs coach. 
they will be together and they will be making phone calls and reporting to each other. Hey, I just got this guy for $5,000. And then they will report it back to Les Snead, the general manager. And that's how they'll keep track of it. Ridiculously different. A scout in Alabama, uh, a, a coach at his home somewhere in the Los Angeles area, and then talking to Les Snead, who's also at home in the Los Angeles area. So those are the kind of things that are going to be really weird about this. But I, I don't think technology is going to be an issue at the end of the draft. What, what does seem, <coughs> and this is one of the most interesting things in your mock, is there does seem to be an increasing narrative about, okay, it, it, Tua is falling. Yeah. And I was trying to hypothesize about this. I didn't just want to be like, okay, Peter, like describe your logic here. I'm trying the, – the whole narrative right now is let's not take risks, right? Let's be smart. Let's make sure, you know, as a, as a nation, as a, as a family, as a person, whoever it is, taking risks is a bad decision right now because, you know, it could end up really badly for you and it could end up really badly for the nation. And it almost seems like that's the way people are rationalizing Herbert over Tua because the numbers are not ambiguous. I mean, Tua is far more accurate. And all of the injury stuff, look, the ankles should be stronger because of the surgeries. Um, And the hip displacement, I mean, we've seen like two of those. So that's got to be a freak injury. What what do you think is pushing Tua down – you know, as it seems to be happening. I mean, I, I don't think you should minimize the hip injury. Okay. I I just, I mean, how would you feel about having a major needed quarterback and maybe the dolphins will pick him because I truly do not know where two is going to go. And I don't know if the dolphins are taking Herbert. That's what most people believe. Uh, and I wish I had a mole inside the building who had a big mouth. I don't, you know. Um, but I just believe right now that if you take Tua, you know, I had a team doctor tell me that I think this is an injury you worry about when, when Tua is 35, not when he's 25, which I think says it all. In other words, I take the risk on Tua. I'm not the one signing him for $30 million and turning my team over to him in 2021. Yeah. I mean, so when you, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, you think about that. If he, if he lasts 10 years in the NFL though, that's a successful pick. You know, I mean, we've been so spoiled with the Brady's and the, you know, the Roethlisberger's and the rivers and, and all those players that we sort of hold that up as the bar. But in reality, you know, if a guy is drafted first, you know, the first round and starts for you for 10 years, chances are he was pretty good. And, and so then the question is, is, okay, are we assessing risk properly? Is the risk that Herbert is not good enough to even play for for your team higher or lower than the risk that Tua, you know, is not healthy enough to be, you know, to reach his potential, well, I think is really where it's been mispriced. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think teams are – are saying, hey, next year really matters, maybe more than they should be. In, in other words, okay, no. I, no? No, I don't think that's why – I don't think that's why – two is not falling because people don't think he's going to be available in 2020. That's not it. It's a, this is a long-term decision. If you pick a quarterback with the fifth pick in the draft 
you think he's going to be your quarterback for a long time. And, you know, I don't know what the Dolphins medics are telling him. I, I just don't know. But I do think, you know, to say that that shouldn't be a part of your decision uh-huh. because, you know, ask, ask Dennis Pitt if that should be a part of his decision. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's, it's a, this is not a torn ACL. This is not even in baseball, Tommy John surgery, because now players are coming back from that all the time. This is uh, a distinctly different and uh, an unusual injury that does not happen very often. I wouldn't call it rare, but it doesn't happen very often. So and and yeah. Tua Valoa has shown time and again that he's not going to be a guy who sits in the pocket and just sits there and is going to be like Breeze or Brady, even though everybody's comparing him to Drew Breeze. <laughs> and I get that. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I mean, I've watched him play football. He's more like Taysom Hill than Drew Breeze, isn't he? I mean, you guys watch him a lot more than I have. Don't I mean, he, he's not Drew Breeze, is he? He's in size he is, but that's it. I think I think he's drastically lower on the on the list than Burrow in my you know in my opinion but but as far as you know the other quarterbacks besides Burrow I think you know from an accuracy perspective I do think you know and Chris talked about this yesterday you know handling pressure has been an issue for him um which you know I think kind of is how Breeze you know sort of creeps in as a comp because Breeze doesn't handle pressure well he's learned to avoid it more often later in his career but uh, I mean, I, you know, the accuracy is there and the real question mark for me with Tua is how brilliant his support was. And if you yeah. are being drafted into the top 10 in the NFL, your support probably sucks. And so can you overcome that really is the, is the question for me more than, you know, uh, him fundamentally as a quarterback, it's the injuries and how much did we, uh, you know, go, you know, all crazy about him because he had, you know, four NFL wide receivers to throw to on every down. I mean, that's a huge, huge factor. You know, I mean, somebody said this to me that, you know, they, when, when I was talking to him this weekend and it's a, it's a, it's the kind of smart ass comment that I toyed with using, but I decided it was the ultimate cheap shot. Maybe not the old, but it was just a cheap shot. And that is, you know, would Devontae Parker, be even a top three receiver on the 2020 or the 2019 Alabama Crimson Tide? And answer that. He, I mean, he I, I would might say be yes. Third. He might be third, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't be ahead of Judy or Ruggs. Okay. And so, and so you, you make such a good point. And, and look, you know, look at the help with a first round running back and a first round wide receiver that Joe Burrow had. You know, and and I don't know that 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 the running back is going to go in the first round, but he's a definitely first round caliber running back. I think he'd be perfect for Tom Brady, absolutely perfect, because Tom Brady wants a guy who can swing out of the backfield and who can play, in, you know, in a pinch, play in the slot, and be a good receiver. And and but but anyway, I guess my point is, you know, a lot of these guys who are going to go to the NFL. I'm not saying they have better skill players in college football, but 
in a couple of cases, pretty damn close. It's not but, apples to apples for many situations. I would say the only comeback to Burrow was I think Burrow clearly elevated the play of those around yes. him. The, the yes. passing game at LSU has been – I mean, the, the, the best NFL passer to come out of LSU in the last 30 years is Odell Beckham. Um, so, you know, historically the, the, you know, the, I think he elevated the Justin Jeffersons who are not on our radar. He elevated the Thaddeus Mosses. Uh, but, but your point, you're not I mean, going to give Joe Brady any credit, huh? Well, and Joe Brady as well, but, but that's, you know, of course that that's tricky too. I mean, that, that's something that Tua didn't have, which is like sort of a brilliant offensive mind. Uh, so none of these things are, are very, you know, easy comparisons just because you have to look at so many compounding variables. My pushback on, on the whole, Hey, supporting cast was good is I, 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 that's the case for a lot of these quarterbacks. I mean, Oregon was a good team. Um, You still need a quarterback to make the accurate throw when it's open. And ideally you have a good offensive coordinator. You have a good scheme. You have a couple of receivers that can get open. You, You don't, you know, that, that should be something that you're preparing for. So I'd go as far as to say, hey, if you don't want to take Tua, your your doctors tell him it's way too risky, that's okay. I would not then replace it with taking Herbert, especially if I'm the Dolphins. I would just say, okay, um, uh, Tristan Wirfs, so we've mentioned him a couple times, you know, I'll take him and and then go, you know, take a, maybe take a flyer on a quarterback later on. Well, people give Cleveland so much flack for trading back for so many years, and I get it. I understand, you know, they passed up on Watson, they passed up on Mahomes. Um, but they ultimately got Baker Mayfield, who I think is still a pretty good quarterback prospect. You know, I agree with you. If if Tua if Tua doesn't pass your tests, I don't think uh, Herbert's the alternative. I think hanging on to your draft picks and moving back and looking at Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence the following year uh, is a pretty good alternative, especially given that you're only in year two uh, of the Flores regime uh, for you know for Miami, for example. What I thought was interesting, Peter, was that you had so you have San Francisco and, and New England trading, and you know this is unlikely, right? You know, probably in the grand scheme of things. But New England and San Francisco have traded before. How much does that familiarity make this maybe more likely in a situation where people are probably a little more apprehensive given the things that are going on, like? It, does that do you think that can makes I tell sense? you can I tell you one part of my logic on yep. this? I mean, this is gonna sound really, really weird and a little too human for the NFL. But let's let's be honest. We're sitting at the bar, we're just talking right now. And let's be absolutely totally honest. Okay. Bill Belichick did John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan a solid when he called him and he said, Hey, listen, we don't have much time. You got two hours. If you give me your two next year, you guys can have Garoppolo. And literally they called him in less than two hours and said, we'll take the deal. Now you talk about this being out of the absolute clear blue sky. It was. But do you know why Bill Belichick did that? In part, it w- he was pragmatic. He knew that Brady was going to play a few more years and, and eventually he'd lose Garoppolo and might get a third or fourth round compensatory. But uh, he, this was one of the really weird things about this. Somebody inside the Patriots said Bill Belichick 
liked Garoppolo, you know, as much as he's liked almost any player he's had. You know, he really had respect for him, really liked his family, got to be a little bit buddy-buddy with his dad. Uh, and he really liked Garoppolo. What happens if Jimmy Garoppolo goes to free agency? Just, just theorize. You know, and my theory is maybe the Cleveland Browns take him. Maybe a dog crap team pays out the wazoo and gets Jimmy Garoppolo. <clears throat> and Bill Belichick shrugs his shoulders and says, okay, I got a compensatory pick, say, two years later after I w- or a year later after I would have gotten this. And it's lower than I could get right now. Uh, He's not going to replace Brady now. And so let's try to be realistic. What do I really want to do? You know, and and I think part of this was Bill Belichick saying, I want to do something good for somebody I really like. And, And there's not a lot of head coaches that Bill Belichick respects as much as Kyle Shanahan. And that's the truth. And John Lynch was in his camp. Uh, Patriots camp right before he retired and and so he really really respects John Lynch so this would be a returning yes of the the favor so to speak yes well there was that there was that scene there was that scene in House of Cards where Frank said it costs it costs me very little but it would mean the world to him yes And, And, and let me just say one other thing let me say one other thing so I I actually thought of a few I could have written about this for three days Okay, but, you know, I, I <laughs> so there's two other little factors in this. The New England Patriots are in the worst cap situation of anybody in football, I think, except for the Rams. You know, uh, they have got, they need like 15 million bucks. Where can they find 15 million, you know, to sort of conduct business as normal? Uh-huh. I wonder where they could find <clears throat> 15 million bucks, perhaps with Joe Tooney their franchise guard. And I think there's a pretty good chance during this draft that Joe Tooney could get dealt to somebody for a second round pick Mm -hmm. or, or what if the, the, the 49ers say, even though they're not in the best cap shape either. So I don't really think this is going to happen, but they've got to think about it. What if they say we'll take one of the three best guards in football? And I don't know what you guys would know that better than me. Let's say we take one of the three to five best guards in football at a, at a stiff cap price where we take him and all we do is we move down 10 spots. And you know what that would mean <coughs> for the 49ers? Think about it. I believe out of the first round, they want a wide receiver and they want a defensive tackle. Okay. And if those are the two things they want, if they're picking at 23 and 27, uh, you know, they're not going to get Derek Brown, you know, if they, if they pick at 13. Thank God. You know? And, and <clears throat> so they're, they might get Kinlaw. I don't know. But if they trade down to 23, they can get a good receiver there. <clears throat> and at 27, they can get the third or fourth defensive tackle on the board. So, and, 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 and just envision in moving from 13 to 23, they either get like new England's one next year, or they get Joe Tooney. I mean, that's not bad for the 49ers. I, I think getting, you know, Joe Tooney to me is not 
at that price would not be nearly valuable in, enough. Like I think you're just paying him too much. But the whole doing a team a solid thing, like it takes everything off the table. If I'm the Niners, I would I would need draft picks because if they just took, think about if they just took Tua at 13 and said, we'll wait till someone makes us a nice offer here. You are you are getting a couple of firsts. I mean, that that is how valuable the quarterback position is. So it, that's why I think the whole Patriots-Niners dynamic makes this way more plausible um, because they have that history together. Um, and that's why I found it so fascinating. If the, if the Niners stay at 13, do you think they're going tackle then first? or uh, um... I think if – I think – listen, I don't know. I You know, I don't know whether they would – because to me, look, I, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a statement that five months from now, if you replay it, uh, you are either gonna totally laugh at me, uh, or you basically are going to say uh, that you vastly, you know, overplayed your hand. Okay, but so I'm gonna I, I just want to make this this point that every year when I go to NFL training camps, what I do is I try to look at teams and I always ask, you know, like the general manager, the coach, or maybe a coach I would know on the staff, who should I know who I don't know? So I went to the 49ers camp last year, early on in camp. And the day I was there, and you're going to laugh at me, the best player on the field, at least the guy playing the hardest and who looked incredible to me was a wide receiver from Baylor named Jalen Hurd. And he was the third round pick of the 49ers. Uh, Big guy. I mean, huge guy, like six, four, I'm guessing two thirty five. I mean, I would have been shocked if they said, yeah, he's tight end. But when you watched him run routes and run down the field, he was fast and he had great hands. And I walked out of there and one of their beat guys said, well, what'd you think? And I said, I'm going to make a statement. You guys will all laugh at in four or five months when he's a, the number three receiver on this team. But I said, Jalen Hurd could be the offensive rookie of the year. I said, he is unbelievable. And so look, he got hurt. He was banged up. He didn't play last year. Yeah. Everybody's forgetting Jalen Hurd. So my only point is maybe the 49ers right now, have uh if they could get jerry judy at 13 or they could i doubt they'll get cd lamb but if they get judy or or even rugs you know i mean uh, can you imagine debo samuel and rugs going into opposite motion on a play you know peter i've had had dreams about that you know but but i'm just saying in my opinion i'm not sure that that is as big a need position as everybody is saying, I don't think it's as big a need position for them as if they could get Javon Kinlaw right there. Well, what's interesting is the whole, you know, what do you need? And it's almost like you kind of always need valuable players at, at positions that impact the passing game, which is why I thought it was so interesting that, you know, you said, hey, the craziest rumor I've heard, the Chiefs go up and get, you know, try to get Henry Ruggs. And a lot of people would be like, why? They, they don't need receiver depth. And it's like, well, the whole reason they've gotten here is because they've been continuously acquiring wide receiver depth. And you're not, you're not playing for just this next season. 
you're trying to prepare yourself for long-term dominance. And that's why I think that, that to me actually makes sense because that's how they've built this successful team. Now I can't imagine Henry Ruggs falls to, into the twenties, but the Chiefs I only could, have two I wide could. receivers. You know what? I could. You want to know why? Why? You want to know why? Yeah. The incredible depth of receivers in this draft and the love that so many teams have for Justin Jefferson. Hmm. That's how I could imagine him going ahead of of Ruggs. Hey. That plus the fact. <clears throat> look, I understand there's a tremendous love affair for a 4.28 receiver. And there should be. <clears throat> but I, I'm slightly, slightly skeptical about Ruggs. And, and I'm skeptical because it, I guess I look and see that here's a guy who I think, I, I mean, I wrote it in my column, I forget the exact number, but he averaged two and a half catches a game uh-huh. in his college career. Uh, he had 41 receiving yards a game in his college career. Now, this this might sound totally idiotic, but if a guy at a, at a school like Alabama, which every year is going to have the greatest players on it, uh, or some of the greatest players in the country, how can you be the best weapon on your team for two to three years, or the most feared weapon, as some have said? And average forty-one yards a game. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the the thing with can the thing with Kansas City specifically is that they are a new school team in the sense that none of their wide receivers have to be everything to everybody, right? And last year, you know, they went up and moved up and got McCole Hardman, who almost was the exact same situation in Georgia, you know, an SEC powerhouse where there's just there's only one football to throw to, you know, to throw every single down. And I think with Kansas City, they only have two wide receivers under contract of note after 2020. Um, I do think it makes a lot of sense for them specifically. I agree with you, though. If you're looking at, let's say, you need a number one wide receiver that's going to do everything, you know, like uh, you know, you need him to be able to run the entire route tree every single down. Rugs might might be a little bit, you know, has a decent amount of risk. But I think for certain teams, San Francisco being one of them. Uh, Kansas City being another, I think he he can be worth a top fifteen, top ten pick for certain teams, given how much he would supplement what's really the most important thing in football, which is you know throwing the ball downfield in the passing game. Right. He and he also did it from the outside, where we've seen Jefferson and Judy. They got to be in the slot where it's like it, it's free, you know, for for most of these great teams. Um, I, I have a couple of kind of quick hitters for you here. Um, prediction on the NFL season chance that we are playing or we are watching, I should say NFL football in September. Um, Better than 50, 50. My gut feeling is that the NFL will play some, if not all of this season uh, with, uh, uh, with no fans in the stands. It wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they take him. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, if, if they if they not take him, but if the NFL would take this game and basically reinvent it a little bit, and I don't know how, I don't know how, but reinvent it 
to do it without fans in the stands for part or all of this season. Well, and you, your answer to the question about, you know, how the contingency plan that the teams had for the draft made George and I, I would assume, uh, you know, a little bit more bullish on this season being played. I think the two of us are both on the side of, we think it's far more than 50, 50 that they play, but uh, far less than 50, 50 that there's fans. And our only concern was that the NFL wasn't, you know, taking stuff seriously, but it sounds like from your, you know, discussions of the draft that they are, uh, you know, taking, you know, they're taking this entire thing seriously. And that would increase, I think, the odds that we at least have pro football in the fall, uh, e- even if it's a little bit of an altered product. All right. Uh, one, two more things. I got two quick things for you. One thing you haven't told anyone, you haven't written about, that you, you, you might be a little nervous about saying, but that you kind of believe deep in your heart that happens in the draft. <clears throat> I think Jalen Hurts is going to get taken by a team that has a very good quarterback and by a general manager, a coach, and an offensive coordinator who all believe that the Taysom Hill model is not a fluke. Okay. I love it. Um, I th- if I were to guess – I guess Atlanta at 48 or Baltimore at 55. I like both those. Uh, your, your quarantine guilty pleasure. You've been, you've been pounding the pavement for so long. You're at home. You've been indulging in anything? Um, most days it is uh, at 530. Uh, a bottle of Peroni right out of the bottle. And then a glass and a half or two of Kendall Jackson Cabernet for $18 a bottle. So my guilty pleasure is not bankrupting me other than the fact that, you know, in my neighborhood, a six pack of Peroni costs $11. So I'm basically spending most nights, I would say, uh, let's see, that would be about two fifty. Let's say two bucks, two bucks, and then maybe uh, eight bucks on wine. I'm spending $10 on alcohol every day. I think we're both in similar buckets. Me with tequila and and Eric with some bourbon. Um, Okay, meow. So uh, you've got... Hey, you cut that out right, meow. (laughs) Listen, meow. You've got a big big draft uh, chat for dollars event. Yeah. Coming up in a few minutes, few hours, meow. Few hours, yeah. Um, tell us about it. How can we? Well, the coolest thing. Thanks for mentioning it. So, I'm I'm like everybody else. I look at the news every night, and every time I see a mile and a half line of cars lining up to get a box of groceries at a food bank, I just want to cry. Mm-hmm. I look. There's a lot of reasons to want to cry in this country right now, but. My wife particularly, uh, and me uh, to a lesser degree, um, we have, uh, we've always tried to help um, with food banks, with hunger-related causes, and we've done it some so far in the last month to the best of our ability, and, and I just, I wanted to do something. I just, I, I didn't, I just wanted to do something, and I didn't want to give to and again, I've given to Feeding America. I love Feeding America, but I wanted to do more of a local thing. And 
every year we go to the scouting combine and I really have kind of, I don't want to say I've adopted Indianapolis, but it's really one of my favorite places. I, I love Indianapolis. And so there are so many uh, places of need throughout Indianapolis. And I, a friend of mine there named Angie Six, her and her husband, Mike Six, uh, have helped me with my little event in Indianapolis at the Combine every year. And they helped me identify this place called the Midwest Food Bank. And, um, and the Midwest Food Bank, for those, I'll just tell you a very quick story. They serve 72 counties in the state of Indiana, urban, rural, suburban. 72 counties, and usually they serve 90,000 people once a week with a box of food that is supposed to last for a week. In the last month, they've gone from 90,000 people to 180,000 people. Holy cow. They barely have enough volunteers to keep up with the need, and they are running out of money. They used to get all of their food donated by local restaurants and grocery stores. Well, the restaurants aren't open, most of them, and the grocery stores are giving them some food, but they still, 55% of their food now, they have to go pay for it. So I'm hoping through some donations, contributions, that we'll be able to raise about 20000 bucks for this Midwest food bank. Me, Chris Sims, and Peter Schrager, uh, 4.30 Eastern time today. Go to eventbrite.com. There's only about 11 tickets left to this thing. But come on, ask us a question, harass us, badger us. It'll be a good time. You can you can donate uh, without buying a ticket yes. too. Yeah, so. please do. Just go to eventbrite.com and follow the directions. Go to buy a ticket, but then you'll be allowed when you go to that page to simply make a donation and not buy a ticket. Any help, you've got to know it's going to go to people who desperately need it. Peter, uh, that was as well said as I would have expected you to say it. Thank you for joining us. This was fun. We've got to do this more often. Mm-hmm. It's always Happy a pleasure, to do it, guys. Man. Thanks, All George. Right. Thanks, Eric. You guys have a great di- Hey, listen, have a great draft. Uh, thank you. You, you too. as well. Enjoy the Peronis. All right. All right. Um, that guy's awesome. I mean, it's, it's on – as you know, I watch old NFL films as a guilty pleasure of mine, and it's, it's surreal that Peter is on literally all of them, and then he comes on to our podcast, you know, 20 years after – uh, to talk about the same stuff. I mean, we've been, uh, you know, he's been, he's been such a, uh, you know, uh, a leader in football for so long that it's, it's cool to have him come on and talk. What was your favorite nugget that he gave out? So, you know, it's funny, we're prepping for this and I, I don't get nervous very often. I, I've gotten nervous the past couple of times we've done interviews, you know, but both Fred Gadelli and, and Peter King, huge, mm-hmm. huge people in the industry. And so I wanted to, I wanted our questions to be good. I wanted them to provoke good answers and I didn't need to, I just needed to say, Hey, Hey, Peter talk. Cause he's yeah, so, you, you he's so good button. at it. You push the button and it's, it's, uh, you know, yeah. it, like I, I did, I just, you know, we just needed to get him started on a topic. He has more things of interest to say, uh, in 10 minutes than I think most people could come up with you know, for a month, um, the thing that I thought was most interesting um, uh, that just kind of pops into my mind, we're talking about the Patriots uh, Niners trade. And we talk about this a lot, right? We spend a ton of time using numbers to inform decision-making. There is a huge part 
of football that is people person skills and leveraging those. And it is just, just as hard as understanding math and being able to code and all of the, and all of those things, understanding probability equally as important is to understand how to work with people and to leverage those situations. Well, you know what this reminded me. So I've been, I've talked to you about this a lot and, and Neil and, you know, in, in the early stages of things, right. The, the, um, the John Smith sort of like method where everybody fights for themselves is the optimal way, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the group is going to survive, it's because of the wits and the fortitudes of the few, right? But once things are established, collaboration is a first order term. And, you know, and and it's the same, like, I I know, uh, you know, prominent sports better is Spanky always talks about like, he, he'll, he'll bet the other side of a game that his bookie really needs because, you know, he knows that like that, that will make sure that he gets the best number, you know, of, in a, during the bet in a future, right? Like there are mm-hmm. tons of things that we do that are suboptimal in, you know, between T and Delta T, right? Yep. Um, but that long-term are, are, you know, the group benefits from it, right? And that's, you know, that's like quarantining right now, right? Is suboptimal individually, but optimal for the group, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's really interesting to see that um, in real time and, and have Peter talk about it because, you know, that's something where, you know, you and I don't have the intuition about that. And he comes in and is like, oh, yeah, that, you know, happens all the time. Here's a, cl- here's a classic example. And it's like, oh, you know, and maybe, maybe we sort of have to think about that. Are you – so I entered this conversation decently confident that the Dolphins are bluffing about Tua because I just can't wrap my head around how you watch the two guys play football and don't go, (laughs) one of these guys can play at an elite level, the other guy can't. I leave this conversation, I think I'm now more on the side of, wow, an owner or a GM is going to make a decision based very heavily on something that has nothing to do with on-field performance and take Herbert over Tua. Are you more or less emboldened? I I think that I think that there I think Tua will go where we thought he was going to go, if not higher. Um, I think so. Yep. Um, the the interesting nugget that I took from this, and you know, if you're thinking about draft props, is his nugget about Justin Jefferson, mm-hmm. who's currently at 21. I think it's juiced a little bit to the under, but not prohibitively so. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of buy it, man. I kind of buy it. I think, um, well, this, this is what was interesting. So, you know, in reading his article, um, and you should go check it out. I mean, I don't know why we're pimping his article. If you're listening to this, you probably read Peter King's, uh, Monday article, but, um, so we mentioned the rugs thing, right? So Kansas city says, Hey, if he, if Henry rugs falls to, to 20, you know, into the twenties, we're going to go up and get him. But then you have the Eagles at 21. The Eagles are not letting Henry Ruggs get past him. They're also, if Henry Ruggs is gone, I don't think letting Justin Jefferson get past them. Well, it's interesting, right? So, and we, you know, you know how we feel about Ruggs, but if you're the Eagles and you're at 21 and you have the choice, what, which, which of the two players do you think, no, do you think they choose? I I think they take, uh, I think they take Ruggs and here's why. They saw what Deshaun Jackson did yeah. 
for that offense. And I, you know, I, I think that's the reason. It, it, it's honestly, it's a hey, we've seen what four-two-five speed can do when it can, you know, when it can absolutely change what Carson Wentz has the ability to throw, where he has the ability to throw. Um, Such a great point because I I thought to myself, okay, because it's interesting. The the Eagles receivers had two phases of um, basically ineptitude last year. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. phase was losing the deep threat that opened everything up. And the second phase was reliability, which was Jeffrey got hurt. Uh, you know, uh, Ortega Whiteside was not like the you know underneath player they thought he was. Ertz got hurt, and they struggled even completing the shorter balls. Right? Mm-hmm. If you, if that that was the last thing you saw, if that's the last thing you saw, and you overweight that, then Jefferson might be the pick. But to your point, and you're probably correct, the the first order thing that really hurt the Eagles' offense a season ago was simply not having a player to be able to take the top off the defense. And as a result, I do think the interesting thing though, is rugs might bust and it, and it will be one of those situations where it's like, Oh, look, you know, he, you know, you shouldn't take receivers that have, you know, only speed right. and not, you know, and, 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 and not productivity in college type of thing. Well, I wanted, I actually wanted to talk to Peter about this. He had a, a radio interview at ten oh eight, So, you know, we had to be conscious of that obviously. Um, but he, he talked about, Hey, everyone's saying, look, you don't take receivers in the first round because they bust. And everyone that cites this goes back to 2016 and leaves out a couple of incredible receiving classes of first rounders with Amari Cooper and Mike Evans and Odell Beckham Jr. and DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones. And I'm missing like two or three, right? But what I think is really interesting is aside from the quarterback that is, gen- that is truly transcendent, every single NFL player that is drafted is reliant on their ecosystem. And a receiver that is picked early is often going to a team that says, you know what, we haven't been completing passes and we need a receiver. And a lot of the time it's because their quarterback sucks. And on top of that, when you take a receiver in the first round, you are saying you have to be the man. Whereas teams that already have good receivers who are, you know, Kansas City, great example, right? Henry Ruggs goes to Kansas City. I would be doing cartwheels because they are taking you to be in a specific role that they know how to utilize. Whereas a lot of these teams that are taking a guy in the top 10, they're like, Hey, figure it out. We need you to, we need you to win every time. And one of those is drastically easier to put up stats in than the other is. Uh, Yeah, no, no argument here. I, you know, I think, and that's why it's interesting because, you know, the value thing is so entangled. I think Henry Ruggs is worth a first round pick for Kansas city and probably worth the top 10 pick. Um, and, and why, you know, and I, I actually, you know, wish we would ask Peter this, but like, does, I mean, do the chiefs just like blow people away and say, okay, we're going to give you Chris Jones 32 and maybe another to move up to 10 and just make sure that we get our guy. Um, or is it a little bit more tepid because you, you did see in 2017 that they had a limit, right? They didn't trade up to one to get Mahomes. They waited until 10. You know, so uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if there's if there's truth to that. And, and I think that there probably is. How where do they put the price point in? You know, he alluded to that a little bit. You know, it's a it's a rumor that he said is the craziest one. But I, I got the kind of the sense that that it, maybe it's crazy, but it's not unsubstantiated by any. You know, it, it yeah. he, he seemed to, to like it. Um, the. The interesting thing about 
um, you know, talking to talking to someone like Peter who talks to everyone that, you know, all these, these teams is that the draft for need thing, I think shows up way more um, than we, than any like rational team should think about it. You know, I, the defensive tackle situation is a, like an obvious um, example of this where you've got, okay, we, well, yeah, I can get, you know, defensive tackle three or four at 31. And it's like, okay, why? Like, why are you taking defensive tackle three or four at 31 if you could get a cornerback? And to me, it emphasizes something that I just think the NFL is honestly, like, has got it backwards to a large degree regarding whether a guy in the defensive line or a guy in the defensive backfield has a greater impact on the game of football. Yeah. And, and, but I, I, it's also the incentive thing too, right? Because the issue is, is, and I talked to, you know, it's about how you evaluate risk. The, um, the, for some general managers, the goal of this draft is to make it to the next draft. Right. And for a lot of these other general managers, the goal of the draft is to set you like, that's why the chiefs with rugs, it makes a lot of sense because they only have two wide receivers yeah. under contract after this year. Um, so it, when you look at it, like it, it makes sense that these teams don't view it the same because the incentive structures are totally different for Ryan Pace versus a Brett Beach or, uh, you know, Chris Ballard versus uh, uh, Rick Spielman, right? I mean, there's, there, are, there are guys who are on their last leg and their goal is to get an immediate impact player uh, independent of whether that's actually the right move long-term. Uh, and, and that's what makes it great. That's what makes it fun uh, and frustrating at the same time. What, you know what part got me most excited, though? The Javon Kinlaw? No, 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 no. Like, actually excited. Was hearing about Jalen Hurd. Oh, sure, yeah. Because... I, I think there are some... I was looking at doing the text analytics stuff, and there's yeah. an article on the website right now about wide receivers. Um, there are some wide receivers that were drafted last year who didn't make a huge impact, who I think people are sleeping on and one of them is Hurd, and one of them is miles boykin of the the baltimore ravens jalen Hurd. i mean if there's a if there's a coach that is going to put jalen Hurd in the right position kyle shanahan is one of them um and it's easy to forget about guys who get injured like you know the idea that someone is going to come in their rookie year and just have the perfect situation to contribute it's it's far less likely than we want it to be and being injured in your first season in a team that's that competitive you're going to be forgotten but that doesn't that doesn't change the simple fact that man like if he's really that big and has that good of hands as that good of route runner he's going to make an impact so now I'm dreaming about Henry Ruggs and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and this like beast that I'm, you know, that, that is a combination of like Rob Gronkowski and Randy Moss out there. That, that, that's definitely going to happen. Um, all right. Uh, we have got another podcast coming on Thursday morning uh, that will be a little draft preview. We're going to do a podcast on fr- um, Thursday night as well, right after the draft um, that you'll be able to pick up on Friday morning where we're going to talk about whichever team took Derek Brown and hopefully the Niners taking a, a receiver early. Um, we've got a live mock draft also coming on Thursday that we'll both be a part of. That's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be at two 30. Um, we've got a cocktail hour 
tomorrow at five. We've got a draft show um, both nights. Uh, you ready for this? I'm just trying uh, to make it to the next draft. Uh, I'm trying to make it. Yeah. I mean, we, like I, like we've been saying before, this is, you know, the one great sporting event for a while. So uh, I think the, the goal of everybody should be to enjoy it to its fullest because it might be a while before we have uh, an event this good. So. Yep. We'll have, so we'll do some draft props on, uh, on Thursday morning. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. The Justin Jefferson one is a good one. Um, Cool, man. Uh, That's it. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll check you guys in a couple of days. Peace out. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.